There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of February 2010. I always suggest that newcomers should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, bookmark all the other sites I have listed on that front page for future use because sometimes the big servers do go down and if you get the bookmarks you can pull, you can still pull down the latest shows for free. Now the, the official sites I have are CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com .net.us.ca, Alan Watts cutting through the matrix.ca, and Alan Watts sentinel.eu. The Sentinel side is European, has all the same audios for download, has addition of transcripts though to choose from, of a lot of the talks I've given over the past years, and you can choose from various languages of Europe, print them up and pass them around to your friends. Now remember too that um, how the talk shows generally work is that the the hosts are paid directly often by the advertisers, and that means you got to push advertising and so on and bring on guests, etc. And it's there's very good money in it. However, I don't do it that way. The ads you hear on this show go straight to RBN to broadcast this show, pays for their airtime, pays for the staff equipment and their bills. So it's up to you, the audience to help support me and keep me going. Lots of folk have tried this in the past and they've always plummeted because generally the public expect everything for free and that's why all the biggies are out there and giving you it for free to get you used to that idea. You never occurs to you, you get a lot of false information in between it as well. So support me, you can do so by buying the books and so on I have for sale, the discs, etc. They're all listed on cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. Uh, you can use personal checks from Canada, uh, from the U.S. to Canada. You can use international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. Stress international postal money order. That's a pink bordered one. And uh, you can also use MoneyGram, Western Union Cash, or PayPal. Uh, you can donate through PayPal if you want to purchase through PayPal. Just send me the PayPal donation and along with a separate email. And I'll get it. Same abroad. Outside the Americas, you can use Western Union MoneyGram, you can use Cash or PayPal. As I say too, you can purchase through PayPal as well to send a separate email. For those who get the disc burned and passed to them, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P for Peter, 3, E for Elizabeth, 4, N for Nora, 1, P, 3, E, 4, N, 1. Now, I read articles recently about data and how they know at the top that we're so overloaded with data today that it actually makes things easier uh, that's from the top to control the public. We're so easily diverted from so many different um, articles being released across the whole planet now uh, at once that we can't really focus on any one particular thing. Plus, we, in between that, we have so much entertainment mixed up, so that everything becomes kind of surrealistic, 
and, and nothing is real anymore. You don't want to do anything about anything uh, in a major way, become involved because everything is so surrealistic. And because people like me are talking about things that they really matter, doesn't mean you'll act on them, unfortunately, because it takes involvement from everybody, right down to the, it's the individual who changes things. The groups forget it. You give up your own brain when you join a group. Even if you start off with the best of intentions, it will be infiltrated immediately within a few weeks and steered off in some other direction or some topic that will grossly involve people and forget what the original intentions were. Now, that's the music coming, so we'll be back with more after this break. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about how we get overwhelmed with data. Now, data doesn't have to be true or false or even neutral. It's just data. It's bits and pieces, bits and bytes that we get downloaded with all the time. And we parrot it generally in conversations for a day, and it's forgotten because then the next day you're, you're downloaded with more data. And if you notice today, everything is from all over the world, all over the world which is also a technique in itself, because in the old days they used to talk about how news was so localized they'd keep you wrapped in your own national cocoon, unless you had shortwave radio and you could listen to other countries. You didn't really know what was going on. And it was only those people who, could, who were interested in what was going on outside that had shortwave radios. Today everyone's on the Internet, and we have explosion of information from all over the planet. And, and so much of it really is outside of any of our, our controls, basically. Too far away, uh, what can you do? Um, and a lot of it is trivia as well. Lots and lots and lots of trivia. Often little funny little bits of trivia or, or kind of fascinating bits, but again, soon forgotten as your memory becomes overloaded and you start deleting the last lot. It's gone, They're making room for the new. And we forget, you see, this is also a technique that's used uh, by those who still control the nations because they don't want you concentrating on what's happening back home. They keep saying we're global, we're global, we're global, unless they want a war and suddenly they wave the flag, you're national again to, to get the recruits in, and then you're back to being global again. Just like the UN soldiers that are comprised of NATO and all the other countries, they wear the little uh, green and black berets and red berets, when they're national, then they put on a blue one when, they're, when they become UN for, for a few weeks, then back to the green one again. It's such a joke, really, when you really sit back and just look at the world and the way things are run. Everybody runs to their own conditioning. And as I say, the group that you belong to will have its rules, regulations, and you, you, it's like the old churches. You left your brain at the door when you walked through, you know. That, that's what a lot of them demanded, unfortunately, and that's also a reason a lot of them went down the tubes. You're supposed to use your brain to think, and you must take experiences that you're told about and compare them with your own life's experiences to see if you can go along with it or not. You can't just take someone's word for something and, and then just run with it. That's how... That's how armies work, really. You're given orders from the top. You must believe in, in what you're doing. 
And the first thing you do in that military is to lose your individuality. You cannot be an individual when you're part of the team that depends on everybody else in the team. So I always try to keep track of the main events and what's behind it, where it's going, and all that kind of stuff. And what the wars are for as well is the world gets standardized under the one socialist system. And it is a socialist system. You, you you really have to study. You cannot go into this area without studying Professor Carl Quigley's books, uh, Tragedy and Hope, and the Anglo-American establishment. You cannot study it and understand and put it into context without doing that. You have to realize that men did sit and plan uh, a century and beyond uh, of how the world would be run and, had, and integrated and the kind of society they wanted to bring into being. They not only planned it, they had the money, the ability, and the, the political contacts. I, I, I hate even saying contacts because they put the politicians in, because the big bankers were in on it, you see. The Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is the British branch, the, the mother lodge, you might say, for the CFR, uh, literally was formed uh, with uh, Lord Milner's group and the, and the Cecil Rhodes Foundation. The Milner's group was comprised pretty well entirely of international bankers and their sons. So they planned the socialist society. Now, to understand what socialism is, it's like communism. Uh, there's three versions according to the class that you were born into. At the bottom level, most think, people think, well, socialism is a nice word. We're social creatures, and therefore socialism must mean it's for the ordinary people. It's good things for the ordinary people. And they, they don't know to go any further than that. Remember, the Fabian Society, another branch, a specialized branch, as I say, of this octopus uh, with under the CFR and all the rest of it, the, the Fabian uh, motto, its, its actual its logo had a, a wolf in sheep's clothing because they needed to use the masses to bring in their new order of things. They needed to use the, the laboring classes and therefore they gave spokesmen to the laboring classes that would speak on their behalf and become the leaders. But of course, why is the wolf inside the sheep's clothing? Well, the wolf really um, wanted to bring in a planned society. And once again, you have to see the Soviet story, the movie, the Soviet story. You've got to see it. And I'll show you too how they can keep all that stuff, all that reality, all that stuff they always knew in your countries from your knowledge for 60-odd years, 70 years, and then show you it at the right time, but no one cares. But that's socialism in action. Remember, communism is a socialist uh, uh, doctrine. And they wanted uh, to bring in a controlled society, planned population, where each country would have just the right amount of people born to serve the system. And it's a world of service they were going to bring in. And eventually, by using money, they would bring it in, and then by substituting money for credits issued by the governments, they could keep control over you, and eventually you wouldn't even need the, the credits. That's what they believed. They could, you could literally be born and be conditioned to be happy to serve the state, the world state. You'll, you'll see George Bernard Shaw on the Soviet story saying that you, all of you, will have to come to us to justify why we should keep you alive. See, no one would be unemployed in their system. That is true. 
Mind you, a lot of folk wouldn't get born either because they wouldn't need what they would call the excess to serve their purposes. It's a ruthless organization. But they always use the, 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 the bottom classes, the disaffected groups, the fringe groups, to bring them into power. And then they come out with the iron fist. And that's where we are today, with the iron fist. Mind you, that we're distracted by all the stuff that's going on all over the world and daily events. I mentioned about how the European Union was the first uh, amalgamation they were going to have. And remember that Karl Marx talked about this too in the 1800s. Exact same thing. So obviously the Royal Institute for International Affairs was not a first-time organization. It came from a pre-existing organization. And Marxism was one of them. They said that, that uh, they'd bring in a North, a North American Union after the European Union. There'd also be um, other unions, but mainly a Far Eastern group, possibly even under the control of China. Long before China uh, ever got any factories up on the go. So everything is long-term planning, long-range planning. So the North American Union, I've mentioned before, they did the first public signing, not the first signing, but the first public signing in 2005. And I'm going to put some links up on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com tonight, for you to look at yourself. And for those that have forgotten all about it, to go back and remember. And the first one is just a simple Google search uh, called Building a North American Community. That was the, that was the title of the Council on Foreign Relations uh, agenda, which they presented to Congress and to the Canadian Parliament and the Mexican Parliament, and the three the, uh, leaders of the countries signed it, the first part in 2005. They said the final one would be done, one every year, but the final one in 2010. That was their target, initially, for total integration. The CFR came out in Canadian television when the signing was done, the first in 2005. The Global Television and CBC broadcast it. And a couple of reporters stood up in the audience at the time and said, is this to be a duplicate of the European Union with its own parliament and all the rest of it? And, of course, they fudged and hedged about that, but that is the intention of it. Now, there's an article here that came out from uh, Raw Story initially, and then Blacklisted News have it in their uh, website too, but it's from Raw Story. It says, a prolific Mexican politician and intellectual George Castaneda believes that a greater North American community, a North American Union with economies tied together under a European Union-style system, complete with open borders and a unified currency, is the wave of the future. Now, this is a, a top CFR member too, remember. And uh, this is from uh, the 17th of February, 2010. In a new interview with website BigThink.com, Castaneda's Mexico's foreign minister from 2000 to 2003 and a global distinguished professor of politics at New York University said that with nearly 11% of Mexicans living in the United States, he has stopped seeing his nation as a Latin American country. Well, my sense is that we're moving closer and closer to forms of economic integration with the United States and Canada and conceivably Central America and the Caribbean. 
could become part of that in coming years. Well, he knows that because, you see, when they did the free trade negotiations back in the 80s into the early 90s, uh, and I have documents from that and from the newspapers, they discussed that then. And that's why from the Caribbean, in fact, they didn't need passports to come into Canada, etc. They were already grouped under this new union, so they were already putting it ahead back in the 80s for those who didn't know. But he says, I don't see Mexico as a Latin American country. Too much of trade, investment, tourism, immigration, remittances, absolutely everything is concentrated exclusively with the United States. So Mexico has to be part of a North American community, a North American union, which at some point probably should include some type of monetary union along European lines with a free flow of labor, with energy being on the table, etc. And I'll be back with more on this union that most of you don't realize is already happening after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watts from We're Cutting Through the Matrix, keeping our eyes on the targets because when you're deluged with info and data, you've got to re-understand the agenda that doesn't break up and, and get forgotten for years. It, it carries on regardless. And you'll find so many, well, almost all the big journalists, the, the big uh, TV presenter, uh, presentators, all these people are members of the Council on Foreign Relations who drafted up the agreements. And they admitted that on the Canadian television, the CFR drafted up these, these gradual uh, integrated agreements uh, for the governments. And they did sign them into law, by the way. Every year they do it. Today, this year is the last year for the last one to be signed, and that's still to come. It says, often demonized as some type of conspiracy theory in mainstream American press, the so-called North American Union proposals have actually existed for some time. In May of 2005, the Council on Foreign Relations released a document entitled Building a North American Community, in which it calls for an economic union-like integration in a European type of Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. While well, the document does not specifically call for the ceding of sovereignty between the three nations, and they never did with the Union either till it was done. As some vocal opponents of the idea have suggested, it does recommend the formation of a North American Advisory Council and a multinational interparliamentary group to facilitate mutual cooperation. I'll stop there and go back to the free trade negotiations because when they were doing them uh, with Brian Mulroney and so on uh, involved in it for Canada, uh, it's turned, they, they actually said in McLean's magazine at the time that Mr. Salinas, who was the president of Mexico at the time, was the man for the job to be the head of the North American Advisory Council, which they said at the time was a sort of embryonic parliamentary system like the Economic Union. And it was so comical because the president also backed this man, the president of the U.S., uh, to be the head and what happened was, about a month later, it was not in the media, and most folk have forgot about it, Mr. Salinas and his family disappeared, taking the treasury of Mexico with them. <laughs> and he was gone. It was amazing because uh, the U.S. and Canada had to bail them out. So I, think, I can't remember if it was $55 million or billion dollars to, to, to refill the coffers of the Mexican government. But uh, that's what we did. We bailed them out. Turned out afterwards that Mr. Salinas uh, was living in Montreal, of all places, and no one arrested him for that. And that was on CBC News Canada. And then when it came out on the news, uh, he was quiet for a while, turned up in Dublin, 
was living happily untouched. And uh, they even did a documentary uh, showing the people at the Swiss um, in Switzerland, the, the police there who take charge of corruption with the banks. And he said it was such a, they'd been working on trying to find this thread of money, billions of bucks getting taken out of Mexico by this one major mafia family uh, that happened to be, had their, their guy as the president of Mexico. Mr. Salinas, the man for the job. That's what it said in McLean's magazine. Mr. Salinas is the man for the job, the right man. And he ran off with the treasury. So anyway, uh, it says here that uh, the former Mexican foreign minister calls for the North American Union unified currency. Uh, the CFR's full proposal is available online and there's a PDF link, which I don't think works. It will take you to the CFR site, but I've noticed now um, that it will either download and say corrupted or you've got to buy it. However, if you do a search, you will find it elsewhere for download for free. It's amazing little tricks and games they play, isn't it? Because this is supposed to be the public available version, not the internal members version. There's always two versions of everything, you see. It says, economic and social citizenship in North America implies the ability of citizens to exert pressure for the implementation of an inclusive economic policy at home and to be engaged in the international economy, wrote CFR member Carlos Heredia. To the extent that citizens of the three partner countries see that North American integration brings concrete benefits, a new constituency will be galvanized to support these efforts in the years to come. How far are we away from that, Castaneda asked rhetorically. Quite far, but so did it seem back in Europe in the 1950s when they were lying to all the public there that there was nothing to do with integration. <laughs> and very little time later, they came around and understood that the, this, uh, that, that was the future, it was where their future lay. My sense is that the American Mexican society is voting with its feet. We have a higher share of Mexicans living in the U.S. than we have ever had in our history. One out of every nine Mexicans... Mexican citizens, people born in Mexico, live in the U.S. today. And so that's another link I'll put up on my website, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, at the end of the show. And it's also, you'll see on the Google search that is won by the Texas Eagle Forum and Phyllis Shafley, July 13th, 2005 column, where it says here, the Council on Foreign Relations has just let the cat out of the bag about what's really behind our trade agreements and security partnerships with the other North American countries. The 59 CFR document spells out a five-year plan, that's what I said, starting 2005, for the establishment by 2010 uh, of a North American economic and security community with a common outer security perimeter. That was also in the Canadian newspapers under Fortress America. Community means integrating the United States with the corruption, socialism, poverty, and population of Mexico and Canada. Common perimeter means wide open U.S. borders between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Community is sometimes called space, but the CFR goal is clear, a common economic space for all people in the region, a space in which trade, capital, and people flow freely. That's the British uh, Royal Institute of International Affairs trade agreements. Free flow of capital and goods and labor. Back after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix, reading about the North American Union, something they keep really out of the mainstream media. And uh, I've mentioned before, it goes all the way back to the 80s with the free trade negotiations. That was the first part of it. It's almost like a preamble to everything that comes from the NAFTA negotiations. And you've got to read the early stuff to understand what they were really getting at and where they were going with it. But this article here is from the Texas Eagle Forum and Phyllis Schlafly, July 13, 2005. Uh, no one had heard about it in the States until I played the audio from the, from the CBC and Global Television Canada of uh, what was said at the meeting when the reporters were actually allowed to question the, the, the president of the U.S. and the, the two prime ministers that were there. Uh, that was completely blacked out from the U.S., uh, from all news services in the U.S. What they showed you was just a meeting for a little talk at Waco, the ranch, and playing golf. Uh, but uh, in Canada, they showed you a lot more. They also came out in Canada with the Council on Foreign Relations' own 10, 15-minute spot for the first time as the Council on Foreign Relations, not as advisors, and they said that they had drafted up these documents. It was their idea. They drafted it up and presented it to the governments to be signed into law. And you think, well, do you vote for the CFR? No, you'll never see a vote for the CFR. That's the real world. That's a parallel government that Carl Quigley and Margaret Thatcher talks about. It says here, uh, this CFR document called Building a North American Community, that was the again from the CFR, asserts that George W. Bush, Mexican President Vicente Fox, and Canadian Prime Minister Paul Martin committed their governments to this goal when they met at Bush's ranch at Waco, Texas on March 23, 2005. The three adopted the Security and Prosperity Partnership of North America and assigned working groups to fill in the details. Now, that was also in all the media here, Security and Prosperity Partnership of North America. It's, uh, it said here, it was at this same meeting, grandly called the North American Summit, that President Bush pinned the epithet vigilantes on the volunteers guarding the borders in Arizona because that's the only ones that were stopping the floods coming up from Latin America. A follow-up meeting was held in Ottawa on June 27 when the U.S. Representative Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff told a news conference that we want to facilitate the flow of traffic across our borders. The White House issued a statement that the Ottawa report represents an important first step first step in achieving the goals of the security and prosperity partnerships. The CFR document calls for creating a North American preference so that employers can recruit low-paid workers from anywhere in North America. No longer will illegal aliens have to be smuggled across the border. Employers can openly recruit foreigners willing to work for a fraction of U.S. wages. The same tactic that was used in Europe and across Europe. Also says the CFR document lays the groundwork for the freer flow of people within the North America. Uh, the common security perimeter, that was also in the papers here. They called it um, Fortress America was the big headlines in the, in the media in Canada. 
It says, will require us to harmonize visa and asylum regulations. They've already done that since 2005 with Mexico and Canada. And harmonize entry screening. They've also done that too because Canada and the U.S. and the FBI and CSIS use the same computers now with and share fully all the data. This is unfully shared data about the exit and entry of foreign nationals. So this is a PDF as well. Uh, you can search for yourself. I'll see if I can put it up for you from the Council on Foreign Relations itself. Uh, that, was, that was supposed to be made public for free because they have their own internal versions since they're the workers of this grand new world order socialist or, uh, system of a planned society. Quite the, quite the stuff goes on. And we get lost, as I say, from when you lose track of, of what's happening. Don't get you're bombarded with all this data. And a lot of it really is irrelevant. You have to keep your eyes on the target and see where it's moving. And then you get an idea. Then you know what the wars are for. That's when you, why you know why the U.S., Canada went straight in on uh, with, with Britain. They all went in together against the Middle East to standardize the Middle East and to the same so-called democratic system, which is anything but democratic. That's what they mean by democratic, bringing in this private group that runs the world, the parallel government. Now, since 2001, and since they first came out right after 2001 on the mainstream, asking this question, uh, are you willing to give up your personal freedoms for safety and security? Uh, an odd thing to say, I thought at the time, when every major television station went into action with the so-called man on the streets with the same questions. That was all were planned, obviously, that they all went on uh, into action at the same time with that question. Because that was the plan, you see. How would you get the public to go along with anything? You declare a form of martial law and use force and fear. Plus, remember, going back, going back to the Club of Rome, when he says, how do you unite the planet? Well, we must use warfare techniques. People give up their rights and freedoms to work towards a common cause. And that's what they chose back in the 70s. That's what they said themselves in their book, uh, The First Global Revolution. Big think tank for the UN. And they're using this, you see, to ram all this stuff through. Oh, we've got to integrate for security reasons, for goodness sake. As they're standardizing the Middle East and causing all the problems, they cause all the problems back home. Great uh, strategy, isn't it? Just warfare strategy, long-term planning and strategy, geopolitics. And we we go further and further with loss of privacy, and no one cares. I think lots, lots of the youngsters don't really care. They go through, uh, they used to go through padding down, going through the schools, then they brought in the electronic gates that scan you going through, and then they were doing locker raids, etc., etc., and zero tolerance for you could even take a, a, a nail file with you or, or nail clippers or so on and so on for weapons. You couldn't even take any um, pills in for migraines because, oh, that was drugs. And we've heard all these ridiculous things that have happened since, you know. And, and, and it's, it's, you're being trained. You're being trained that the only way you can live in this world is to have no freedoms whatsoever. You must let Big Brother know everything about you 24 hours a day. And he has got the right now to do it. That's how you must believe and must think. What a change around in a few years. What a change around, isn't it? That for centuries people fought for something called freedom, which they often couldn't define except something better than what they had. 
and here we are getting everything up because a very cl- clever group of people uh, who are international bankers who move who move billions across the stock market across the world on a daily basis, raising countries up, sinking others, running their parallel governments, using the world like a doll's house, and we're just little dolls, they move around inside of it. And we still go through this farce of voting when they put their own guys in, in every country. Carl Quigley said that the, the people at the top of all parties belong to the Council on Foreign Relations. They can't lose. And here's how far it's going now, too. Because now you've got all your other governmental affiliated organizations, the semi-public-private deal, even with the school systems, going to credible lengths to spy on people. This article here is from Mail Online. It's in other newspapers, too. U.S. school use secret laptop webcams to spy on pupils and parents at home. 19th of February, 2010. A U.S. school district used laptop webcams to spy on students at home, potentially catching them and their families in compromising situations. Officials at Philadelphia can activate webcams on the computers without students' knowledge or permission, a lawsuit alleges. At least I've got a lawsuit in. Plaintiffs Michael and Holly Robbins suspect the cameras capture students from Harriton High School and family members as they undressed and in other embarrassing situations, has been alleged. It said here, Harrington High School in Brian Moore, a family alleges at school, blah, 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 district used school-issued laptop webcams. So they gave them the laptop. See, everything, here's free. It's free because we love you, you see. And the students take them home with them, as they're supposed to do. Lower Marion School District officials said the laptops contain a security feature intended to track lost, stolen, or missing laptops. That's the excuse they dreamed up. And that the feature was deactivated yesterday. We can categorically state that we are and have always been committed to protecting the privacy of our students, they lied. Oh, sorry, I added that last part, because that's obviously what it is after they tried this out. Tom Halpern, a 15-year-old from Wynwood, said students are pretty disgusted and have started putting masking tape over the computer webcams and microphones. That's why they're in there, folks. The big boys admitted years ago that they'd been using laptops from the beginning with built-in mics to listen to you. Now they've got the cameras in, and they activate them remotely. He says, this is just bogus, Halpern said. I think it's really despicable that they have the ability to just watch me all the time. The accusations amount to potentially illegal electronic wiretapping, said Whitehall J. Walzak legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Pennsylvania, which is not involved in the case. It says that the Robinsons only learned of the alleged webcam images when an assistant high school principal told them, their son, that school officials thought he had engaged in improper behavior at home. Here they are. How many other were they watching and taping and laughing over and doing all kinds of perhaps obscene things with as they voyeured into the homes and private lives of all these people. It says school officials cannot any more than police enter into the home, either electronically or physically, without an invitation or a warrant, Walzak said. that. Well, I don't care what's got in the books, as I've said before, uh, and I've read stuff in the years gone by, where the governments admitted they worked with uh, the laptop makers. Uh, most laptops doesn't make it the brand. It's made in an island off China. I think it's 70% of them 
are made in this one big factory. All the different brands that you see, one factory. And they put these things in with activation codes for governments. A school district statement released yesterday said the tracking feature could not be reactivated with express written notification to all students and families. Like they didn't do before, right? The affluent district prides itself on technology (laughs) technology initiatives, which include giving laptops to each of the approximately 2,300 students at its two high schools. So I wonder if if they were spying, and how long have they been spying on these 2,300 students and their families? Yeah, that's your brave new world. We're all here. And mind you, a lot of folk won't, won't mind. Oh, well, it's just like, you know, a reality show and uh, you dance in front of the computer naked or whatever else you're supposed to do as you emulate these little fools they put on you to emulate. And it works very well. Monkey see, monkey do. Very simple, isn't it? Every child now wants to be a star and cavort in front of the camera. Why do you think they gave you these reality shows? What's the message in them? I think we all know. And you've got to understand socialism too. I remember seeing an old documentary from Germany, pre-World War II Germany, about socialism and how they were building all these houses for the, the, the factory workers. Exact same row housing as they had in Britain. And then they showed you how at school they were going through these intense physical exercises. And this is the days when the eugenics was out in the open and they discussed making Superman, an idea that Hitler got from George Bernard Shaw and the Fabian Society and all the other eugenicists. And you saw the children in fields, uh, in, in their soccer fields, doing the in-out stuff and the X's as they jumped up and down, all in unison. They love unison. They love everybody working together and moving together. You see these totalitarian types. And then it flashed at one in Britain. Well, how was Britain uh, coping in the 30s with all the unemployment? Well, they were doing the same thing. They were building more socialist houses, uh, all joined together. And then they showed you the children in Britain doing the same exercises in the same soccer fields. And I, 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 well, so I, I realized, that. I said, well, this is obviously socialism at work. It's, it doesn't matter if it's Britain or Germany. It, this is socialism, you see. But it doesn't stop there, just uh, having you all jump up and down together. I remember a definition, uh, when they gave the definition of China being the model state for the world. It was at some special exhibition in Beijing, and the UN was there talking, and that's when they branded it the model state that we've all to copy with one-child family policy and total uh, state intrusion and all that kind of stuff, and and take it for as normal. Uh, They they talked about... um, uh, how they all moved together as, as all these Chinese dancers made a kind of uh, a, a sort of spiral pyramids on top of each other, these acrobats and all that. They love this unison and everybody working together like a beehive, bees in the beehive. That's, that's what totalitarian freaks love, you know. And that's what they want. That's what they want under this worldwide socialist state. As all doing exercises in the fields together and going back to your tiny little houses that we're supposed to be privileged to have. You know, as we pay through the nose for the taxes for them and so on, and the rents. Anyway, here's an article here of, of the next step to the 18th of February 2010. Britain is the flagship for this, remember. This is where the Royal Institute for International Affairs was born. This is where the Masonic Royal Society has every famous player that will then guide your thoughts along the road to sciences. And it says here from the Mail Online, 
uh, sports mad, always full of energy and certainly not fat, five-year-old Lucy Davis' parents had no concern about her health. Now, I've read an article before, but a previous one has happened too. This is just another one. But when she was examined at school as part of a government initiative to turn the rising tide of obesity, they were shocked to be told that she was overweight and unhealthy. They said Lucy may have an increased risk of heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure and cancer as her body mass index was outside recommended, recommended guidelines by just 1%. Remember that last one I read? It was about a two-year-old boy. I think it was one pound over the recommended limit, even though he had a big frame and all the rest of it. You can't have different sizes. You've got to be standard, you understand, the, the new Superman. Remember the Superman idea? We're all Superman, building the new Superman the new Soviet or the new Superman depends if you want to take the so-called uh, uh, Nazi or, or Sovietized view, which are both socialists, by the way. You see? And I'm surprised I'm not. I wonder if they still measure their skull index and stuff. 1% outside their recommended guidelines. Lucy is 3 foot 9 inches tall, 5-year-old, right? Weighs 3 stone 9 pounds, which is itself within the recommended healthy range for a 5-year-old child. Her mother, Susan Davis, 38, said she was shocked by the letter she and her husband, Tony, were sent about their daughter's weight. An official reprimand, sort of an idea. I couldn't believe what I was reading, she said. Lucy is five years old and not fat in the slightest. She shouldn't even be thinking about her weights at her age. I want her to be running around playing and having fun, not worrying about what she looks like. National Child Measurement Program. This is National Child Measurement Program Eugenics is being carried out in schools across the UK and results are calculated by taking into account height, weight and age. Bureaucrats, 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 eh? Mrs. Davies, a mother of four from Poole, Dorset, received a letter which said the results suggest your child is overweight. It added that this can have implications on health and well-being and this is a catalogue of serious medical conditions her daughter may suffer from later on. So, here we are. Can you understand? One group runs the world, and they've all planned it. Socialist totalitarianism. Back with more after this break. Hey folks, this is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just pointing out that uh, the socialism they push is not the one that most folk think of. It's not there to serve you. It certainly takes enough money back from taxes and gives very little back in return. Now there's a, a caller from Ireland there, Derek. Is Derek on the line? Uh, hello, Alan. Yes. Hi, uh, yeah, uh, I'd just like to say... Uh uh, get a donation in next week, and I'm looking forward to getting your country the Matrix books. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my question is, uh, you know, uh, getting the information out to people, you can you know, do it through the documentaries, or you could do it through uh, satire. Yes, satire is good. Uh, I noticed in the last month, especially with, you know, the Super Bowl ad on the Green Police, mm-hmm. and uh, showing you the police stay. And, like, in your face showing you what's going to happen with all these, uh, no climate crimes. Yes. Now, a year ago, I would have thought that, like, that that would have been good. But, like, seeing the reaction from my brother and that, he wouldn't have a clue about it. He thought it was funny. Uh-huh, yeah. So, in doing satire, do you, would you have to be careful in the way it's done that it wouldn't have the opposite effect of almost pacifying the people you're trying to uh, inform or, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's unfortunate too because a person who is totally conditioned and accept the reality that's been downloaded into them, uh, sometimes satire is the only way to break through, even without blows, without coming to blows. Satire, at least, can, can cross that and get a bit of a laugh and maybe get a topic mentioned. Um, but I've seen people try to get their topics across uh, straight off the bat with information, and they almost come to blows because you're touching someone else's conditioned reality. And, you know, they, they, they become defensive and they'll really stand up and try to defend it, thinking that all their thoughts and their ideas and opinions are actually their own. <laughs> That's what I noticed, but I noticed that sometimes, like, uh, the, the elite use satire that I would have thought would be a good way of waking people up, but they have this spin in their own way, like, that the, that the people watching it think it's funny, like, they think the police say it's funny because of the way the elite have used the satire themselves, so... If you're doing it, is there, is there a kind of thin line you have to be careful of not having the opposite effect you're looking for? That's right. That's right. You, you do. Uh, people are very touchy. Uh, people truly will defend their, their indoctrinations, uh, and um, they become very, very defensive. Uh, but sometimes a little bit of humor is a good way to test someone out, just, a, just, just touching on something. Um, but most folk won't respond unless, uh, I'm not kidding you, unfortunately, uh, that the, the taxations, the laws or something are, are really um, infringing on their own freedoms themselves. They're feeling the pinch themselves. That's when they become interested. It's almost when it's too late uh, to do anything about it. But I, I know exactly what you mean. It's very it's tough going out to the, the unconverted, you might say, and starting from scratch. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but that, that's basically because I think at this stage I was going to work in a documentary, but if you're trying to get to the people who are unaware and basically asleep, the only real way seems to be satire, but it would have to be in a way that, that, that they're not, they're not defend themselves, but somehow it makes them realize that you're basically talking to them being the idiots or them being, you know, being the tools yes. of, the, of the story, but. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's all techniques, and eventually you get practice in it. The more you do approach people, eventually you can almost suss out their particular conditioning and apply different techniques according to the individual. Uh, as again, um, bringing it, making it more personal down to their level where it's going to affect them personally, and that's the way you do it. But satire, yeah, satire can certainly get through if we don't overdo it with satire. But thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. From Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.